Well, we have come to an end of our recent studies in Gospels of Mark. I want to leave it at that point at the end of Mark 10, um, which is kind of a division in the Gospel account. And it does, uh, as I said, it is. it has just slipped past us. Uh, Ascension Day, you may not have noticed it, but it is a glorious subject. And that is what we're looking at this morning. I want to read just a few verses of Scripture uh, to bring us to the point of, of the narrative. The first is in Luke 24, from verse 50. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And then the same writer, the evangelist Luke, uh, continues his study of all that Jesus began to do and to teach in the book of Acts. And he, as it were, looks backward now to uh, from that, that perspective to the ascension in Acts chapter 1 and verses 9 to 11. And when Jesus had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Now we know from Acts chapter 1 and verse 3 that this event of the ascension of Christ into heaven, his return into heaven, happened 40 days after his resurrection. And clearly there is something very definite uh, about this event in the life and ministry of Christ. Indeed, it is included in that what is probably uh, part of an ancient Christian hymn in that statement in 1 Timothy 3 verse 16 concerning the mystery of our religion, the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and then it ends, received up into glory. So we are thinking particularly of this aspect of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And firstly, we see that it can be thought of as having, in this limited sense, having an end. Having an end. There's clearly an end to something going on here. He goes away into heaven. He departs from his disciples. The eternal Son of God, in this sense, also had a beginning. We know, of course, there was never a time when he was not, because he is the eternal Son of God. But there was a time when he was not a man. And he entered in Bethlehem of Judea through his mother Mary. He entered into this world of space and time. And he became something that before then, and we're using human terminology here, something that before then he had not been. He became a man. He was incarnate. 
And there was then his earthly ministry. He grew up in Galilee, in Nazareth, and then he commenced his earthly ministry at the age of 30. And then for three years he ministered, and that ended with his death, his crucifixion, and then his glorious resurrection. But in that sense of his earthly ministry, as as Luke tells us in Acts 1, the ministry continued for another 40 days, although now he was in his resurrection body. But there is now a very decisive end to that ministry with his ascension. He blessed them and he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. His body disappeared. Of course, his spirit did not disappear. His spirit is always with his people, and it will become more intensively. He will become more intensively so at Pentecost and since. Uh, He's always with us by his spirit, but his body left this earthly scene. Now, his body, therefore, was not insignificant. It was not irrelevant. It went from one place, this earth, to another place, heaven. We cannot understand heaven. We cannot understand hell. They are two places. And we would do well not to try and speculate in terms of this world of space and time exactly where or what those places are. But they are localities that God has created. And we know, of course, that even heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain God. But Here he goes up into heaven. The evangelist tells us so. The Holy Spirit tells us so. His body did not vaporize. And his body is certainly not omnipresent, even though his spirit is omnipresent everywhere. But his body is not everywhere. It's in a place. It's in heaven. The whole person of Jesus Christ entered into heaven. Body, soul, and spirit. And yet, in a sense, he's with us everywhere by his spirit but his body is not so and that is why it is important to remember that his body is not in the sacrament of the bread and the wine his body has left this world it has atoned for our sin by God's grace and mercy he loved us and gave himself for us and he's finished that work he's completed that work Hebrews tells us he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So there's an end here. But also clearly, as we think of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as our mediator, there is a beginning here. Because this is the beginning of his post-resurrection heavenly ministry. He led them out as far as to Bethany and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now, once more, we have to qualify this. We have to remember that we're speaking not only of the man, Christ Jesus, but of the eternal Son of God. And there's always a sense in which he's had a ministry towards the children of men. So, for example, in Proverbs chapter 8, there is things said about the wisdom of God, which is a personification of Christ himself. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 8, and let's read from verse 30 or verse 29 when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment when he appointed the foundations of the earth 
Then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Even before creation, the delights of Jesus, the Son of God, were with the sons of men. His thoughts were upon us, his prayers were upon us. And yet, having said that, there is a sense As we think of the whole man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, there's a sense in which there's now the beginning of a new ministry. And he departs, blessing his disciples. He lifts up his hands and blesses them. He shows what he will continue to do in heaven, where he is now. He's in the same attitude, we might say, in heaven. He's lifted up his hands in blessing. Here indeed is an echo of what we read of in Leviticus in chapter 9 concerning the high priest Aaron. Leviticus 9 verse 22. And Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering of the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. Once the various offerings for sin had been offered. Once those ceremonial offerings had been accepted, there was one further task he had to do on the basis of those offerings, which was to bless the people. The sacrifice had been accepted, or the symbols had been accepted, and now blessing on the people. And we see how in a couple of verses it says, there came a fire out from before the Lord and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat. The fire has fallen, the offering has been accepted. And we see in type here what happened with the ministry of Christ. God's wrath came upon him and the the offering was accepted. And he made a complete and perfect sufficient sacrifice for us. And yet there's this further blessing which comes out of that sacrifice. He blesses the people. And we know, perhaps we have just a little uh, insight more into that in Numbers chapter 6, the particular blessing that Aaron was to speak to the children of Israel. Numbers 6 verse 23, through Moses saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee, The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. There's that wonderful ironic blessing. God be merciful unto us and bless us. Cause his face to shine upon us. Even as we pray that, there's someone else praying that for us. Someone else interceding for us, saying the same thing. Our risen And ascended Christ. And maybe there's just a hint of something more here. In Leviticus 9, Aaron, we're told us to lift up up his hand. But in Luke, we're told in verse 50, he lifted up his hands. An intensification of the blessing. Not just as a symbol of what God would do. Nor even, we may say, just as a prayer, but as an actual impartation of blessing. We have to be a bit careful when we talk of the intercession of Christ that we don't think of it quite 
in the same way as we think of our intercessions on earth. There's a sense in which the very presence of Christ in heaven is an intercession for us as part of his ministry. And here, but here God is surely accommodating to us by helping us to understand that the ministry of Jesus in, in heaven is effectively an intercession. So in Hebrews 7 verse 24, this man because he continueth ever hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Each of us have a great mediator in the heavens, our great high priest. Each of us has this minister of the sanctuary of God. And he's ever living there to apply to us what he has accomplished on the cross for us. But we are reminded in this statement, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, that this is a costly ministry to Christ. Because those hands, as we well know, are pierced hands. The hands of Christ are there in the account of John chapter twenty of Christ's post-resurrection appearance to the disciples. And Thomas, Thomas Didymus, he was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples said unto him, we've seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wanted to see the nail marks. He wanted to see the spear mark in the side of Christ. And Jesus appears to him and invites him. Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. Thomas doesn't do that. He just is overwhelmed as he says to him, my Lord and my God. You see, yes, he blesses us. But there's a price, as we've already thought, there's a price to that blessing. There is a sin offering and a burnt offering. There is Christ himself, wholly consumed by God's wrath falling upon him. And the way of that blessing is through his hands. That is, through the merits of Calvary. Through the merits that he has made available to us by faith at Calvary. And those wounded hands blessing us are the hands that have power in heaven and in earth. Ephesians in chapter 1 and also in chapter 4 makes clear that he rules over all things on behalf of his church. He has been exalted far above every principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Everything has been put under his feet. All authority in heaven and in earth. He rules the world in truth and love and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. And through those hands a blessing through his blessing he gives to the church all manner of gifts he gives to us apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers speaking of the church through the ages as i say that in order that we might grow in grace in order that we might be edified in the body of christ in order that we might attain to that perfection 
which is total Christ-likeness. But the cost to him was immense. And here you see there's a sense in which we can say that the ministry of Jesus has, yes, it had an end, but it has a beginning. And in fact, this ministry of Jesus is the answer to every need of the church of Jesus Christ on earth and in heaven. This is the answer to every need. He lifted up his hands and blessed them. So it had an end, it has a beginning, and thirdly, this ministry has a character. Notice the character of the ministry of Christ that is here beginning. Firstly, notice its humble glory. He led them out as far as to Bethany. He was near Bethany. Bethany was the place where he often went. It's a village just outside Jerusalem, about three miles away. It was where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. It was, in a sense, a homely place for him to go to. He didn't go now to Jerusalem. He didn't go at this point to the temple. He would have had every right to do so, and nobody could have stopped him. But he chooses to lead his disciples out, as we read in verse 50, as far as to Bethany. He takes them on this walk a few miles up the hill to Bethany, to this quiet place, to this place apart. He's not going to go out in a blaze. He's going to go out with quietness and peace. There's going to be quite a difference between the departure of Jesus and let's say the departure of Elijah. When Elijah departed in 2 Kings 2 verse 11, we read, Behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Incredible. In a whirlwind and horses of fire and chariots of fire, the angels In all their glory are displayed. But not so here. You see there's something humble and quiet. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He's meek and humble. Even though he is the glorious Lord of course. It's a humble glory. And also it's a gentle glory. As with the resurrection. His his, this climactic display of his glory hasn't led to one loss of life. When he was raised from the dead, the temple guards fled. They were terrified, but not one of them lost his life. And here we have just two angels, we're told, by Luke. Not the thousands upon thousands that welcomed him into heaven, as Psalm 68 tells us. But just two men dressed in white there with the disciples. There's a gentleness. There's a meekness, we might say, about the majesty of Christ. It's not some huge cosmic event which is going to obliterate the need for faith. It's just a humble, meek, and yet truly glorious departure. The character of his Ascension. And then we can say, thirdly, that as far as that character is concerned, it's full of love. You just read Luke 
the end of Luke 24. And I've often reflected that there seems to me to be little difference qualitatively, little difference in character between the experience of the disciples at this point and then some weeks later at Pentecost. It's almost as though Pentecost has has nearly come. He indeed, as John tells us, Jesus breathed upon the disciples. He's already, as it were, blessed them in that sense. They're going to get an intensification when Pentecost comes but this is kind of Pentecost nearly with them. They're already in the first installments of blessing. His departure, it hasn't been the mournful event that they thought it would be, as John records in chapters 14 to 16. There they are distressed. There they are troubled. But now we're told they worship him and they return to Jerusalem with great joy. They cannot see him now because he's departed from them, but they worship him. They're convinced of his presence. His parting has been a blessed parting. There's something loving here. This is how Jesus treats us. Whatever troubles and changes and chances come into our lives, God is smiling upon us. Even behind that cloud, he is smiling upon us. And we see in these disciples a new spiritual hunger and a new spiritual joy. They worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. This is the time between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So they they go to the centre of Old Covenant worship, the temple. The Pentecostal Powers and blessings haven't yet come, so they're still in the temple, but they're there to worship and praise God, to praise him in spirit and in truth. And we've never, I don't think we've ever seen them before like this in any of the gospel accounts, the four gospels. Never seen them so united in joy and so continually praising and blessing God. Up to this point, there have been so many questions and doubts and fears They love Christ, yes, but they're so weak and frail in their faith. But now there is confirmation and joy and hunger because of that loving ascension of Christ. They've seen some new things. We've seen in the earlier part of this Luke 24 reading that Jesus has been explaining things to them, opening their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. We have the three divisions of the scriptures given according to the old, uh, the way in which the rabbis thought of it, the law, the prophets, and the writings. Jesus has shown that each of these speak of him, and it's all come together in their minds. J.C. Ryle tells us, the little degree of joy which many believers feel arises often from a want of knowledge. We just don't understand because we don't read the scriptures we don't read about the scriptures we don't meditate on them enough we don't look for Christ in them we're feeble there and so we don't have the same degree of joy but now they have greater joy great joy this loving kind gracious savior has left in a sense in the same way that he came quietly Although with greater 
glory, of course, on this occasion. And Paul reminds us in 1 Timothy 3 that the ascension of Christ is part of the gospel message, is part of this great mystery of godliness or this mystery of our religion which it can be translated as. We have these six statements in which the natural is invaded by the supernatural. God was manifested in the flesh. There's flesh, that's natural, isn't it? That's earthly, that's human. And God is manifested in the flesh in the incarnation of Christ. Justified in the spirit, vindicated. There's something natural there. But it was by the resurrection, vindicated in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Think of the effect of that. As the Gentiles believed, there was some power at work, but preached, proclaimed by sinners saved by grace, believed on in the world, and now received up into glory. The word up reminds us that there is an earthly dimension of this because Jesus went up into heaven, went up, but he was received into glory. The supernatural invades the natural. You know, every aspect of the Christian faith has the supernatural in it, undergirding it. There's no shying away from that. This universe was created supernaturally. Man was created supernaturally. Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead supernaturally. It's part of the glory and yet part, of course, of the reproach of our message, of this gospel message. And oh, there's no, uh, there's no difference here. As Christ ascends into heaven and as he goes, he blesses them and he blesses us.